0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFauve.
1: And I'm Lorian McKenna. And today we are thrilled to be joined by writer, director, and now feature director Charlie Day.
2: Well, thanks for having me. Oh, for hey, I'm hey, happy Charlie. to be here.
0: Charlie is one of the most recognizable comic voices in our business, starring on the hit FX show It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which he also executive produces and writes for.
1: Charlie's new film and feature directorial debut. Fool's Paradise drops on May eleventh, and we'll be discussing
0: that film today. But before we do, we just want to welcome Charlie and talk about our weeks. So, welcome to the show.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm I'm excited to chat with you guys. It's always, and I find writing interesting to to talk about because um, it's so hard to understand and figure out and do. So uh, maybe we'll open open some inspire each other in some ways and uh, yeah,
0: absolutely get
2: some new tools.
0: Absolutely, and you've uh you've your game to talk about your week. So uh, we'll let Lorian go first. Lorian, how was your week? My week
1: has been good. I've been doing a lot of not writing and doing other things. So today, my manager called me and said, "Hey, where's your script?" And I said, "Oh, well, I'm doing this and this and this," and I had all these other things to talk about. And he's like, "Uh huh, uh huh." So where's your script? And I'm like, "Well." And then I sort of realized, like, oh, God, these are all excuses, of course. And then I was like, well, actually, I'm feeling really overwhelmed. And this thing, and, like, I was just like this roll of excuses about why I didn't have anything to, li- to deliver. And I knew this as I was saying it. And then he said, the most horrifying thing you can hear, I can hear, which is, okay, here's what you need to do. Stop overthinking, get out of your way, and just write. Which is horrifying because that's all we say on the show. Stop overthinking, get out of your own way, sit down, write, come up with it, however the process works for you, whatever you want. And I was like, oh my God. I'm not doing what I'm saying that everyone else should be doing. And it was just, it made me mad. Like it wasn't humbling or it didn't motivate me. I was like, fuck you, God damn it. Why, why do I have to be hearing the same advice? Like I'm the one that gives the advice. So that's where I am today. Charlie, how was your week?
2: (laughs) My week's good. Uh, I've been... uh... I've been on a whirlwind. I, I, we, I planted a lot of seeds and 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 they're all coming up at the same time. Uh, you know, I'm out here and I'm, I'm promoting the movie that I'm excited to be promoting, but I'm also in the editing room on it's always sunny in Philadelphia. And I squeeze in a podcast this morning and we just got back from an international tour. And I've also been doing a little bit of leftover press on the super Mario brothers movie, which is all done now. So it all happened at the same time. And, uh, it's uh, these are all good problems I know, but I'm at the same time I'm I'm like oh I can't wait to uh, never do anything again. That's what I'm looking
1: forward <laughs> Basically, for you. you had the opposite week I had. Right? You're busy, and all these things are coming to fruition. I'm like excuses, lame. Yeah, blah, but, blah, you know, I want to take a nap.
2: <laughs> none of those things are actually sitting down in front of a page and writing, and and that I'm I'm a I'm a, a master at avoiding. I mm-hmm. I can avoid that with mm-hmm. the best of them
3: how well, you, you have any go-to um, procrastination <laughs> activities? Is it cleaning? Is it eating? What are your go-to writing procrastination activities?
2: Um, it's it's per, uh, pursuing other things in my life. So, you know, all the, the acting and the, the the show running or the promoting or the press or, or everything else pulls me away. And I think, well, I can't sit and write right now. I have to get this other thing done, even though I could probably carve out the time. To finish something else that i'm working on that i feel like i can't get over a hump and i just have to lock myself in a room and do it but um yeah yeah and and the internet is a terrible invention for a writer because just the second you engage with it just boom your brain's out
0: yep yep that's fun actually <laughs> cool
2: yeah mm-hmm. so
1: meg
0: how was your week well i fit right into the theme i'm on the lorian <laughs> side of the spectrum <laughs> Uh, which is did it you was also want
1: to scream fuck you into the microphone I, so loud that it I blows did, out all our, <laughs> our listeners but i
0: didn't because it was my husband so i did not scream oh, okay. fuck you because it only took 30 years of marriage to realize oh no i didn't literally idea. say that to my manager <laughs> sorry I, <know> I, did. <laughs> I um i my husband uh went off to uh taiwan for a birthday trip he wanted to take and uh, but we're writing a script together and you know when he left i was like absolutely i will send you pages i will send that breakdown. you will be in taiwan and get it and then you're not going to want to work but that's okay because i did and i didn't do it um <laughs> you know i don't know <laughs> i think i you know here's my seeds that my i'm a highly uh evolved avoider because like my things are well i did uh an instagram for stage 32 talking to emerging writers and on friday i'm going to do an ask me anything like it's all very altruistic and giving but it's still taken away from the writing time and that's just what it is like there it's it's hard to for me to put up boundaries when somebody calls and says will you have lunch with me because i want to talk about my script and i haven't talked to this person so long and i feel like oh i haven't i should really do that but meanwhile I'm, I'm having to relearn the lesson that when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And that is mm. my writing. And it's just like everybody else. It's the advice I give. I don't take. So, so uh, I need to s- do that. Stop mm. giving yourself to everybody else and sit down and write.
1: And I will stop overthinking and self-sabotaging and sit down and write starting
0: next Tuesday. <laughs> Yeah starting. <laughs> Not tomorrow. Not tomorrow. No. Yeah. I have to start tomorrow because uh my husband's waiting for pages. So okay. I gotta mm-hmm. start tomorrow. All right, let's get into the fun stuff. Let's yes. let's 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 talk. Let's talk. Um, so
1: I wanna ask you. I really enjoyed your movie. I had a good time watching oh, thank it. Thank you. I love so many aspects of it. I love satire. I love the push characters of it, but I want to know. Where the seed of the idea came from? Like, what was that spark where you were like, this is where I'm going to start? Was it a high concept? Was it like a character moment? What was sure. Sure.
2: Um, well, let me ask you before before I answer that, uh, just so I have some awareness of mm-hmm. your context of my work and where you're coming mm-hmm. to it from. Yeah. Have you ever seen It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Yes. Have you walked? Yes. Okay, so you're familiar yeah. with the tone of it? Yes. So I think I was, because um, it's interesting, because I think some people who have never seen that show will approach this movie from one direction mm. and people who know it well, will see it in a, di- in a different light and that's fine. I have no control over that. Um, I think I was, it was about 2014 and we were on the sixth or seventh season of the show. And I was starting to feel pretty confident in my writing ability. So uh, always wanted to write features. Always wanted to write a movie to, act and direct um, always liked those movies uh, by those filmmakers I there was something appealing to me that it was from a singular voice and that made me lean in and watch the, the movie closer I think um, so I knew I wanted to do it and I knew I loved obviously being there which is the closest relative to this movie and I just knew that I would never get an opportunity to be in a movie like that as a performer uh, so my initial motivation, and it usually is as selfish as what do I want to act in uh, and, and what kind of movie do I want to be in, uh, that's usually the the first seed of an idea for me. So I start thinking, well, I've never played a silent character. No one's going to write a silent character for me, especially given what my voice is like people aren't going to think of me when they think of a silent character. They're going to hire me for the voice so, or not hire me because of the voice. Right. So um, I I thought, well, boy, it'd be fun to do that. And it'd be fun to be a, in a being there-esque movie. And I just started writing some scene ideas and taking notes like that.
1: Along those lines, you know, you are so vocal. You have such a great voice in all your other work. How challenging was it to sink into that where you didn't have that access to that tool?
2: I think it would have been a lot easier had I not been directing the film and I could only pay attention to my acting. Um, But I found that I often, in many scenes, was paying such close attention to, you know, is the camera hitting its mark and is the character saying the line like I I wrote it and are they getting the speech right or am I going to have to ask them to do another take? And forgetting to react as the, as this silent character. And, and I would see in the editing room, I'd be like, boy, I'm not, I'm gone in this one. And I'm, I'm there and others. And it was kind of a fine line because in many scenes I'm trying to do a very minimalistic, you know, not, not like a Mr. Bean type thing, but the character starts out sort of that way. And then he starts to shed that. And then he starts to sort of become more human by the end of the movie. This is the sort of journey I, in my mind, I wanted to pull off. Um, But sometimes I just wasn't there (laughs) because I was like, "Okay, I just make sure Ken says this speech right or or just enjoying watching John Malkovich or somebody. Uh, So it was extremely challenging. And um, I wound up doing a big reshoot where I think I fixed Mm. some of it for for me from a performance standpoint. It was great to get, Okay, now that I get a chance to go back, let me redo this better.
0: I'm interested in the tone and um, because it. It's so specific, mm-hmm. um, and I know you're talking about Sunny in Philadelphia, and so if people know that, I think that, but for you on the page when you're writing it, because um, sometimes you're going to hand it to financiers or other people who maybe, how did you make sure the tone was clear on the page?
2: Tone is tricky, and and tone was the thing I think I struggled with the most, and especially in a movie like this where you're going in and out of so many different almost worlds where people come in and you have these performances and you're trying to make sure this performance matches that performance. And uh, we'll get into the reshoot aspect. I think initially I had a chunk of the movie uh, that no longer exists that didn't work quite tonally with the chunk of the movie that does exist. So I struggled with that on the page. I think I was naive uh, to whether or not that mattered and just was just, which is probably a good thing uh and was just writing the tone that appealed to me which ultimately is really all you can do um were you
0: aware of trying to keep it consistent um in terms of of that tone
2: not at the time at the time not at the time now i'm more aware of it as a writer Having gone through this experience you know my first pass of it was was a decade ago um and I kept rewriting and adding things and taking things away and and ultimately did a big rewrite after having filmed the movie um, which was sort of a lucky accident that I even got into a position where I could do that. but maybe not unlike Pixar, where you get to sort of see some of it and go back and be like, well, what's working and what doesn't? um you'd normally don't get that it, had I had this been a studio film, I wouldn't have had that opportunity. and had I not sort of hit a pandemic and 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 had I not also had a sunny schedule that I had to go back to and I could say, Hey guys, pencils down. I have to go back to sunny. In many ways it bought me some very t- time that I needed just from making all the mistakes that you make. That's not really answering your question. I, I guess
0: it absolutely is. No, it
2: absolutely Yeah, is. I-, I think in terms of tone, it's just, I'm just always just trying to write the movie that I want to see. You know, and then uh, I want those scenes all to fit into that movie I want to see. So this one, tonally, everything's a little heightened. Um, I think, uh, you know, in my second pass, I I grounded sequences and scenes more. But um, on the page, I'm assuming it all reads as the same tone. Uh, But I guess, you know, how someone else reads it's out of my control. Yeah.
3: There's also the element of you directing it too. So you're probably not quite as specifically aware of knowing that you're handing this off to someone. I mean, if you read a Coen brothers script, it doesn't necessarily follow the same rules that like a traditional studio screenplay would read because they're handing it off to themselves on
2: set. Yeah, that's right. In terms of, I, you know, I, I, I don't write a lot of stage direction. Um, I don't, I don't write a ton of description. Um, I, I think I do initially, and then I start peeling it out and peeling it out and try to say just what's essential. Um, because I know uh, readers like myself are impatient, and they're they're not going to want to sort of slog through. If, if this, this thing's like 120 pages, and it, it could be like 101, <laughs> with just being a little more uh, uh, efficacious about when I'm using description then i'm a fan of that it really it just depends sometimes i'll do a pass after i've gotten something done and sold for the crew you know i'll go back in and i'll say okay now let me describe these things in great detail so i don't get into that production meeting and you know this is not the case on. It's always Sunny in Philadelphia. I feel so bad for everyone who works on that crew because they're, you know, we'll have these <laughs> production meetings. And be like, oh, how do you, how did you know, not know that the uh, garbage bag was supposed to be seven feet long, you know, because <laughs> it wasn't our head. But we'll forget at times. But um, yeah, I think for our feature, I'm thinking about two different readers. I think I'm thinking about that executive I want to buy the movie, who just wants to know scene by scene by scene what's funny and interesting, and then after. God willing it's sold. I'm thinking about the crew that has to make the movie. And then I then I can go back in and put a lot of description in.
1: My experience of watching their movie, so much of it was about being puppeted, mm. being like um, if you don't control your own narrative, other people are just gonna put their version of you on you. And it really spoke to me, right? Mm. And uh, you know, as a woman, as a writer, sort of, you have to claim who you are and what you're doing. i was just wondering um, if that's what you had in mind, right? And um, what, for you, the driving theme of this movie was, like what your, your, you know, what you were really trying to say emotionally, the core of it.
2: Yeah, I went through a really interesting process on this one, unlike anything else that I'd worked on or, or um, most, a lot of what I'd done, I'd co-written. Uh, which I'm much more comfortable doing because it's terrifying on your own, and um, you know it's hard to not have the person to turn to and say, "What do you think? Is this the right direction?" Is that it's to, to have that argument in your own head? And I'm ruthless with myself. Not as I'm going along, I'll write fast, and then when I'm done, I'm then I'll hate it after the fact. But um, uh, so I think initially. Um, I set out it was a little more biting, a little a little harsher in its satire. and uh and was really only about that puppetry, the idea of identity and what is an identity and and in a town that's obsessed with uh, sort of a fake identity, it seemed like the the right the right to setting for that you know that we all sort of call a man we all collectively call a man the rock and like the the, sort of the the fact that we all just sort of fall in line and are okay with calling a man an inanimate object and that we're like well this is just what we do now uh i I, you know thematically i like that and then the the movie didn't come alive for me until i stumbled on uh ken jong's performance and realizing oh this has to be a movie just about the fact that everything in life, certainly everything in this town is meaningless compared to, um, a connection with another human being that there is no value. There is no currency. Um, and a town that just overvalues, uh, fame and celebrity that, um, that it really is all ultimately incredibly meaningless that the movies are, uh, not nearly as self-important as we sort of like them to be, you know, that in a sense they're, they're wonderful and they're great. They're also disposable. They move on, they find the next person, they make another one. And that, um, you know, that, that the only thing, I have the line at the beginning of the movie where the doctor's saying, you know, if he can have one meaningful connection uh, you know, perhaps he can find his voice again. And of course he, you know, he spends the entire film trying to, it, it turns out that Hollywood's not a good place to try to find a meaningful <laughs> connection.
1: <laughs> but it can be a good place to find your voice.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And and those were those are the themes that I use have the your luxury voice. of Sorry. stumbling use upon. Yeah, use voice, find your voice. Yeah. 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 You
0: yeah. 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 talked about it. the rewrite process that you went through. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and what happened?
2: I'd love to. So I I'd had a version of the film, um and I just knew in my gut it wasn't. A lot of people liked it. I showed it to people. They were like, oh, this is fun. And, and, uh, and it, in my gut, something just wasn't working. I knew something wasn't working. I wasn't getting the reaction I wanted to get from people. But more importantly, I wasn't getting the reaction for myself, which is the only barometer you have when making anything. Um, and the thing that matters the most, right? Because ultimately someone's going to love your work and someone's going to hate it. But if you don't love it, then you're going to have to live with it. Um, and uh, I I have, I have the very good fortune of um, knowing one incredible filmmaker, Mr. Guillermo del Toro, who I had uh, sent the movie to. I had a lot of Spanish elements in the movie uh, initially because it's a big part of the fabric of Los Angeles. And I and I, I was having a hard time tying the two storylines together, and it was Garrett was saying like I do, I think you have to lose that I think you it, like tonally you're you're not connecting the dots, and he had identified Ken as being the heart of the film, and I said yeah I no I agree. Uh, initially I I had his character sort of die <laughs> halfway through the movie when he has his heart attack, um, but uh, so we talked about it and. And he said, you know, maybe you could have Ken. We'd landed on something like maybe Ken could narrate the movie from heaven or something. And I thought about that. And I went and I, you know, wrote versions of that. And I shot a version of that. It was a pretty quick shoot, like, uh, you know, one day in the hangar with some clouds and stuff. But um, uh, of course, it didn't work at all uh, because it was a a band-aid to the, the larger problem of screenwriting 101. I didn't have a main character with a driving want, which is um uh how Ashby pulled off in being there. Um, but I didn't want to also just remake someone's movie. It's a great jumping off point, but it's gotta be its own thing. Um, and there's a million reasons why being there works. You know, being there is incredibly subtle and down-to-earth and and understated. And I had already had flushed all that down the toilet. So <laughs> uh <laughs> <laughs> but there was there was something great in Ken's character. You know, he had this um this uh, Shelley the Machine Levine type quality, right? As Willie Loman, this sad sack quality. And I thought, and and here was a guy who very clearly I had baked in the character that he wanted so much to be a part of show business and so much to be a part of Hollywood. That I thought, okay, this is this is this is the heart of my movie. And I threw out a lot. I threw out a lot and I wrote 27 pages. Um, I was, uh, I just finished This is after
0: you've shot it. After after I'd
2: shot the movie. And, um, and I'd even had an offer uh, to buy the movie. Um, But it it was Guillermo saying, if you don't have to sell, if if your financiers are comfortable sitting and waiting, you should make the changes you want to make. And I, and I would, I wrote these pages. I, I shared them with Guillermo. He was kind enough to take a look. I'd been recutting the film with Leslie Jones, who's an incredible editor. She did um, The Thin Red Line and uh, Punch Drunk Love and um, 20th Century Women and uh, uh, Inherent Vice, a lot of movies. Um, and Leslie and I had recut it and we tried different narration. We She, she was like, don't even bother with the Ken from Heaven thing. <laughs> and so I now had... Uh, two people to turn to who had made great movies, which I needed. I, I needed that support system. I needed Leslie um, I, and I needed Guillermo. Uh, and and just the two of them together, just giving me the nudge to say, yeah, go down the road that you're you want to go down. And I was ruthless with the movie. I was ruthless. I was like, if it doesn't work, I'm losing it. And if it does work, I'm keeping it. And if I have a better idea, I'm writing it. And um, it required some really difficult reshoots. I mean, the scene on the rooftop with Ken in the middle of the big party, I had to get back up on that same roof with those same extras three and a half years later because we had hit wow. um, the pandemic oh God. and we'd hit, yeah, um, I, I got back to that bus stop. I got to, I, all these places where, and every step of the way, I tried to be a a good boy scout and come up with the cheaper option of, okay, maybe we could film, you know, they duck into a closet and they film the scene in here, or maybe we don't have to go to that bus stop. And uh, it was my production designer, Rob Wilson King, who just kept saying, ah, you gotta go to the good location. It was gorgeous. And everyone (laughs) nudging me. And, uh, and look, I had the luxury of time. I had the luxury of, of a very successful career leading up to that, that I was able to say to my financiers, this is going to be expensive. I'm going to split some of the costs with you. So that, that is not an opportunity that everyone has. Um, but because I had that opportunity, I was going to take it. Um, and I I went back and then at, at some point it's pencils down. I mean, I just watched the final DCP last night and and I enjoy it. I let myself enjoy it, even though there were sections where I was like, oh boy, if I could have gotten that one, I would have fixed that one. <laughs> you could go forever, though. Forever. Yes, but forever. so from a writing standpoint, it, just as simple as I had this one overly ambitious idea and then realized I needed a little writing 101 of the character with the driving want. And then when I had that, suddenly I had the movie. And, and, and then now I had this weird sort of romantic movie between these two men. And that wasn't what I set out to do. That was the movie telling me what it was. So a a little bit of just uh, being available to listen to the movie and say, all right, what do you have? Um, I wish I had caught that in the writing uh, phase. I wish I had bounced the script off more of those filmmaker friends before I got it made. I was, I never want to burden anybody um, and then I realized to direct a movie, you have to burden everybody, you know, <laughs> constantly, <laughs> <laughs> which is horrible, but you, you get better at just not caring, just saying, hey, listen, I need a favor. But um, so it was an interest, this, this one more so than anything else I've done was an interesting process of something that kept developing and saying, listen, if you want this to be the best it can be, you have to go down a different lane and then just trusting that.
1: I know you're used to writing in partnership with people and processing and banging things out. And then writing this alone, is that why maybe you kept it a little close to the vest at the beginning, like afraid to sort of share it or have people bang on it? too hard before you were really done?
2: Probably. Probably some of it was ego, like thinking I can do this great thing. I don't need any help. Mm. Uh, Hard to know. I'd have to sit with a therapist for a little bit to to (laughs) shake that one out. But um, yeah, probably wanting to feel like I can be a great filmmaker on my own. Um, uh, But, you know, anyone who's ever made anything good has collaborated with hundreds and hundreds of people to do it. So and then the side of me that just doesn't want to burden people. It's mm-hmm. its a pain to sit and read your scripts. It's hard. It takes time. Um, so it was all those things. Um, and then, you know, perhaps no one would have caught that. That's the other thing. Sometimes you have to look at something to say, this has to change. I can think of at least half the episodes of Sunny that have almost completely changed in the editing room. Scripts that we thought were airtight. We thought, well, this one's perfect. This one works beginning to end. And then you get in the editing room, you're like, no, this part of it falls flat. We got to lose this completely. And let's try let's try this other thing. And
0: Yeah, that happens at Pixar all the time where mm-hmm. you can write your draft and you're like, or even just a section, just a piece of the act. You're like, but that'll work. And then it goes into boards and you're like, yeah, no, nope, that doesn't work. Or it works in boards and then it goes into edit and you're like, yeah, nope, that doesn't work. It works on its own, but it doesn't work with everything around it. It's such a gift to be able to see it
2: up and and it's and- an absolute gift. And it's a little bit the way they used to make movies. Um, I think there used to be a little bit more of a grace period for reshoots, and they used to spend a little bit more money on making a movie. Everything's gotten squeezed, um, except for obviously giant superhero movies. But um, yeah, Pixar is a great example. I mean, this the best process to sort of say, well, what's working, what's not. The the concept of just getting it all in the first go and that it works great. I don't know how anyone does it.
1: I love how you're talking about the editor as like an equal creative process, you know, with the director in partnership with everybody. And that's how it was at Pixar, right? The that was like the director, the head of story, the editor. And it was this triad or more if there are more people working together to figure out the story. Like you're in the editor's office, you have it up story artist come and draws more boards and you put them up into the, you cut it right there. You are watching it as it goes, as it iterates live. And the editor is such a key, key part of that, their eye, the way they feel story. And it sounds like you are having a, you had a similar experience with your editor on this film. Yeah. Well, such a partner.
2: I had started with a uh, Tim Roach to uh, cuts for it's always sunny in Philadelphia and had for a long time. And actually was a childhood friend of mine um in rhode island of all places where no one is in show business uh and and um we'd done the first pass and he'd identified some of these problems well before i ever dreamt up uh these solutions um and then he you know obviously didn't couldn't afford to just stay with me on the movie for five years or however long i was in post um so he got gobbled up by the marvel machine and and he went on to work on some big projects but um Leslie Leslie's experience in filmmaking was just essential, I think, for me getting to the end. And I think it was, was helpful in me getting John Bryan to do the score. And that's another huge component of making the movie. I don't know how anyone sort of says, let's wing it with a score. It's The composer is talking in every scene and they better be good at their lines, you know, and they better have something interesting to say and uh do people
1: do that do people just wing it with the score is that a thing yeah
2: yeah wow. Pe- people just wow. I mean, most people don't but i think that you know there's a lot of the studio system of like okay yeah you know, pick these this guy or that guy or 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 financiers saying hey let's save some money let's not go for the the best uh composer wow. we can get and which is not let's to it- say you know like john bryan had to start somewhere and Paul Thomas right. Anderson was smart to snag him and 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 get him, but uh, the the composer, the editor, the people who come on in the post uh, process really shaped the movie.
0: I'd love to make sure we have time also to talk about uh, Sunny, Sunny in Philadelphia.
2: That's I'll talk sunny. about whatever. Yeah, uh,
0: let's go. Um, go on and on. So, um, in in the broadest sense, which is this is a broad question, but hopefully it's something you feel comfortable answering. You've worked on that show for so long, um, creating it. Can you look back now and see what it's taught you?
2: Oh, it's taught In terms of
0: creating and writing?
2: Everything. It's been boot camp. Um, Well, I didn't, I don't think I aspired to be a writer before we made the show. Um, I had started with acting, although I was always making like little movies with friends. So there was a, a piece of me that probably did know I wanted to do like an Albert Brooks type thing. Um, but, but hadn't really identified it or, or maybe just didn't have the vision to see. I needed to get better at each piece before I felt as though I could do the whole thing. Um, so when we made that show, our initial thought was that we would hire someone writers and a showrunner to come do it and F, uh fx was the one that said you guys are gonna run it and we thought okay <laughs> you know we don't know what we're doing um i, I was just we ha- i was just talking to two of our staff writers this morning on the sunny podcast uh and um they came on season three It was the first season we hired a staff and uh i remember them you know, saying, Hey, they were saying, Hey, what's for lunch? And we're like, what do you mean? You like bring a lunch or something, or you want to go somewhere? And, uh, (laughs) them saying, you know, that normally the studio gets you lunch and us having to call like our line producers saying, Hey, I I think everyone should get lunch. And then being like, you know, on our other shows, we get computers. Like what you get a, you get a computer. And, uh, that, the third season was the first season I ever owned a computer. We used to all huddle around one computer that we were all sharing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was just so, so naively learning the process, but also so lucky to, you know, get this sort of sandbox to play in where we were working at the studio and we don't have these executives telling us what we can and cannot do. They're very supportive. They're, in fact, they're pushing us further than we want to go half the time. Um, And the fact that every year I, have gone back to that for uh you know 16 seasons but over the course of well, like almost 20 years now getting to go and write those episodes it's just like the deadline is very helpful for me knowing that okay this has to get done and that there's no one to turn to other than Rob and Glenn and they'll turn to me mean like, where, where what are we doing so <laughs> do you was...
0: approach the do you approach the writing differently than you did when you started in terms of because you know now certain things or is it just more intuitive do you think
2: well we waste less time now i think um i think now we we know what's what's sort of worth uh arguing about and what's not you know Uh, there's less sort of discovery of what is the show Uh, i miss that because i think that's the really magic sweet spot and i think it's gotten much more difficult to write um in some ways, some things have gotten easier where we were in a time crunch this year. And then I was trying to fix a script and I was thinking, well, who's funny? Well, the, you know, Mac's mom and Charlie's mom are funny. So like, let, let's find a way to have them on a road trip together. <laughs> and, you know, so sometimes some things are easier just knowing, okay, if I get these characters in this scenario, it's going to be done. And some things are much harder in terms of we've Done it all, we feel like, oh, we've done this storyline, we've done that storyline, and um keeping it fresh, you know, not trying to repeat ideas or themes or jokes. I think we're starting to realize, boy, we're we're not just like a storyline, but even just a tonal from a comedy standpoint, a tonal thing. It's it's very hard to 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 keep it fresh. Um so it's the same process, go into a room, put a bunch of note cards on a board, You know, spend a few days blue skying, then land on, on the one or two that you get excited about, then break off into separate rooms, try to break it down, try to outline the whole thing off, then go off and write it. Um, I wish I knew nothing about the characters and nothing about the show. It's a curse to know so much about it. Because as hard as it is to to not know what you're doing, that's where all the good stuff comes from. I think.
1: Look, looking back, you realized that.
2: Oh yeah, when not in when it. It was it was when living you're hell.
1: In it and making those mistakes and realizing the mistake and not yet understanding how that's going to help you moving
0: forward.
2: It's yeah, yeah, it's hell. Yeah, and I
0: love that. That you you long for the time of discovery and I do not knowing.
2: I do. And, and from a collaboration standpoint too, because I think there was something exciting about, you know, not only were we young and new at what we were doing, but a lot of the people that we hired were, hadn't been staffed up on things before. So that sort of, you know, no one knows what they're doing was a really exciting time. Um, but I get, I get it with features when I sit to write uh, a movie, um, you know, I've written this one, I got made, but I've written four or five. And uh, I never know how to do it. <laughs> I never. never know how to do it. I don't have a technique that works consistently, or I think something's working. And then I read back through it. And I'm like, this does not work at all. Um, But I, the things that I write tend to be slightly different genres from each other. That's what was fun to do. This movie was even though a lot of humor and tone this is why I was asking about Sonny overlap with Sunny, It was still its own mm-hmm. thing. And the fact that I got so much of it wrong and was able to fix it was also exciting in a way to, I, I must've written 55, 60 during lockdown versions of like voiceovers, different people like explaining the movie to try to correct whatever tonal issues I had know i tried to give it a million band-aids until i realized no i just have to do what i would do with sunny if i had three weeks and just gut half the story and then replace it with something that works
1: how did you get to the part you know you said you just ruthlessly cut it Mm -hmm. like that's an emotional process of getting to the point where like all right i just have to strip it down how how did you get there? I mean, yes, this isn't a therapy session, but like, yeah. <laughs> how did you get to the point where you could be like, all right, I have to just cut what doesn't work. And it's about the movie.
2: There was a lot of different ways I, I got to that. Asking friends sort of what they were responding to and not from just a practical standpoint. I had one, <laughs> one writer friend i had sent it to whose advice was, hey, just... Just give up and move on. Like you got a great acting career. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! And but
1: and that's this is great a- advice because you can go. Wait a minute. That's not what I want. No, I'm gonna. Yeah. Going. In some ways, yeah. it was
2: it was good advice because it was a lot of work and and time and pain to to get it right and get it done and a lot of convincing people. But it, it was not an option for me uh, emotionally or creatively. Um, but uh, I think it was. I, I knew what was and wasn't working it just was it didn't seem like something i could do it just didn't seem like well no one just goes and changes half a like not half a movie but a quarter of a movie um but they do you know pixar does uh you know kubrick did and woody allen famously did like um the difference was that we were an independent film so uh, fortunately i was i was given the opportunity to do it but i, I it was sort of, I had no other choice, just to say, if it doesn't work, it's gotta go. And um, and I was also excited about the new material with Ken. And that was sort of fueling it, which is to like, say, oh, I have it, you know, it's finally, I can sort of see the, the light at the end of the tunnel here. And it's, I, I was going, I was in, a, it's a different tunnel than I thought I was in, but you know, I gotta go in this direction. Um, That's a
0: really good point that once you have an answer, you're going to have to be ruthless because now you're fighting for that answer. When you're ruthless, kind of in a vacuum, that's really psychologically challenging. But once you've just put it aside and get an answer, you it's easier. I think, I think it's a really good point to start being ruthless because you're going towards something.
2: That's right. I wasn't ruthless until I had the answer. I mean, I could sit and overanalyze and be like, what's not working. What's wrong. Is it this, is it that the, the, thus trying the different sort of band-aids, uh, and then once I had the answer, then it becomes apparently clear what can and cannot stay. And like, I thought a lot about like, can this be a longer movie where I'm keeping part of the storyline that I'm taking out? But the answer was no. And I had Leslie to bounce things off of where I said, Leslie, what do you think? Do you think I could keep a little bit? And she's like, no, don't, I don't think we can. I'm like, no, I know you're right. You know, you know it when you hear it. Do you guys it- find find this when you're writing that where suddenly it comes alive when you have a solution mm-hmm. and you just... You just know it's, it's very obvious. I don't know. I don't really think it's even us. I, this is going to sound a little hoity toity, but I think it's outside of us. I think yes, it comes from outside of you. And, yeah. And,
1: yeah. and
2: that's how, you know, you, there's something that you tap into that you say, well, it's gotta be this. I, who knew, but there it is.
0: And it's funny. I I agree that it feels outside of yourself, especially when it you get you you're like I don't even know how that I came up with that or where that came from, other than desperation. But um, I also think it goes back to want. You know, like as much as you you need you learned about your character needing to want something. Um, once you as a creator want something because you see it, you've got it. It's easier to do those hard hard things. Um, mm-hmm. that it, it all it does come back to want for the creator and the character. I think. And Jeff, you had a really interesting question about Sunny that I want to make sure we have time to uh, ask.
3: Yeah, I'm a big fan of your show. Um, and a, Thank you. you all talk about and, you know, press has talked about the fact that famously, the characters are kind of quote, unlikable, right? Like they're sort of oh. these like famously narcissistic monsters. And like, that's why we tune in. Like it was, especially at the time, it was just like, what is this? These people are off their rocker. Um, but I feel like that conversation about likable characters is so frequent in in our business and Mm -hmm. i'd kind of like to hear you speak on that like did you ever get that note and do you have any ideas or do you want to weigh in on the conversation of likability
2: i I mean i've gotten that note on on network shows that i've either sold or tried to sell um and uh and you know i never got it on this movie and we never got it on sunny i think fx very astutely knew that that was the opposite of what we were trying to do um it is the worst note anyone could ever give i mean what does that mean what what is what is a likable person what makes someone likable and and likable to who you know like what is the definition of likability um and it's a total trap it's the worst thing you can do Uh, like the the best performances your favorite performers the best movies are usually about horrible people (laughs) unlikable people it's a miracle when you can when you can make a likable a movie about a sweet, likable person. And it's interesting. It happens true, but Heart it, is, it
0: character yeah. is character to write. Just yeah. write. Just a normal regular guy. Look at
2: Jaws, taking Jaws, for example, who do you like? You like the, you like the captain. You like the, the, the guy who, who takes them out to sea and, and almost gets them killed. Um, you but know, you don't want to
1: have him over for dinner or no, baby he, see your kids he's, yeah.
2: because he's unpredictable it's exciting. Um, And when something's unpredictable, then you have our attention, Uh, you know, you're engaged, but maybe that's just me. I'm a fan, obviously, of movies from the seventies. So I like the anti-heroes. How
0: do you, how do you think that is there any, and maybe this isn't something you think about, but is there any technique to writing those characters Um, to make an audience want to stay with them, want to come back week after week with them? Uh, is mm. it just fascination? Is it like, is there a balancing act? There, doing?
2: there is a trick. There is a trick. Um, you can't, the opposite side of it is you can't go out of your way to make someone unlikable for the sake of being, un- well, you, you can't, you can do whatever you want, but I, I think it doesn't work to try to make someone unlikable for the sake of being unlikable. I think um, with Sonny, what we always did was we knew our characters were going to do some unlikable or idiotic uh things and we all we would always say we have to make the audience know why they want this and believe that they want it we don't have to make the audience want it we just have to make them believe that these characters really want whatever this thing is that they're doing or saying so go that's going back to your want that you were talking about yeah it was essential um Boy, that's easy. I forget that a lot, and that is a certain. Oh my god, of... we
0: all forget it. It's incredible. It's incredible. It's the it, most basic thing, and we write our first draft, and there's no want.
2: And there's no I, want, I, and I it's a magic you. bullet of writing.
0: It is. It oh, man. is.
2: I kind of can't wait to get back into something that I'm working on and just go back and be like, "Is the are the wants clear?" Yeah. I
0: I literally was talking to my son who's in film school. He was talking about this relationship he wants to do and going on, and I'm like, "Wait a minute, what do they want?" And he was like, "What?" I'm like, "Well." The want also creates relationships yeah because you either want opposite things or you want the same thing but you don't like each other like what what's the want in the middle of this and he was like ah
2: oh, jeez. yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you're right you're right that is the secret sauce I mean, it certainly was for my movie right where i have a character who doesn't want anything and honestly part of the problem my first draft was he like sort of semi-wanted something in another storyline and i was like no it, it's either all or nothing
0: yeah that's even harder when it's a semi yeah harder.
2: it was just inconsistent writing and then but then, then cre- beefing up the character who did want something. So then I had the man who doesn't want and the man who wants, and then there's a story. But um, yeah, as the case with Sonny, they all are very passionate people about what they want. And what they want is usually re- absurd or ridiculous. Um, but you buy that they want it. And uh, and then the unlikability is it's what they're wanting and how much they want it. But then that's what makes it funny.
1: Totally
3: michael arndt came on the show who wrote little miss sunshine and he oh wow writing yeah. big studio movies now but of course i think the word he used was rootable which i think is such a smart word for our characters because yeah. even the characters in little miss sunshine they're kind of you know crazy and maybe not likable it's a grandpa on cocaine but they're all very rootable and i think that has to do with knowing what they want we can at least get on their team and That's want it, it with them i think
2: yeah, like uh Tony Soprano is a is a bad man uh, who does bad things. Um but he 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 wants a better life for his wife or his daughter, you know, he 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 wants to be happy. Uh so he's in therapy and uh we can all identify with wanting that. So I think the more identifiable the want, the more the character works
0: well the other line i do think you walk so beautifully in everything you do um and i i I find this with young writers there's a very big difference between somebody being rootable or likable quote unquote because you pity them Mm. versus because you're connecting with them Mm. and movies or tv shows that set up a pitying i don't think it works and i think you oddly don't connect it's just not to make too fine a point on it but it's a it's another layer that I think you walk really well, especially in this movie. You know, I don't pity either of them. Yeah. Right? The man who wants nothing at all. That's not what you're setting up. You're not saying this poor guy, you know, you might feel that for a moment, but I'm more engaged in what he wants and what he's doing to get it. And like, I mean, one of my favorite scenes, and it's so small, but when he pays the guy, which is in the early in the movie, so I'm not giving anything, but when he pays the guy to get on. Uh, the lot. It's just this tiny little moment, but I'm like, (laughs) five dollars. He's like five dollars. (laughs) And then the guard takes it, which is hysterical. But I just I just love that. That's the such the Willie Loman moment. He's active. He's doing something. He's active. I'm not pitying him because poor him. Nobody likes him. Nobody will give him a break. No, he's like, that's what I love about him, whether I agree with him or not. I love how active he is towards his wand.
2: Yeah. And and you would you would pity him if if he wasn't also in some ways a bit of a son of a bitch right so like he he's yes yes you know he wants something so bad but he's also you know you can tell he's a liar and uh, a manipulator mm-hmm. and so you don't feel sorry for him in that in that in that please pity him way i'm not saying hey this is a this is no, a, there's no there's no Jesus complex here where where no,
0: he's not like put upon and we yes. can be like, Oh poor him. That is not what's happening. He's, no. he's creating his own so much of it is him creating his own
2: problems, yes. which is also delightful. He's creating his own misery. Now my character on the other hand is probably probably more like you're watching and being like, Oh boy. But but same with this guy. Well then go do go get active, do something. And takes him the whole movie to figure out how to do it. But Um. Yeah, that's you're right. That's that's a fine line. Not something I actively think about, but maybe having watched so many movies, you instinctually do it. That's I'm a big believer in watch the best movies, watch the best films. People things that people sort of collectively agree this is the highest art form there is, and uh, and steal everything you can from it. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, because they stole it from someone else. They did. Right. I
0: have a question, um, and I know we're getting to the end here, but um, I have two different young women who are both graduating from college, and they both um, are sketch comedians. One has experienced it by doing it with a college group on on campus, creating a sketch for campus, and the other one is doing it on TikTok. Um, And... There's a question of in today's age, and when we all came into the business, it's so different. If you were going to be hiring someone in your room, what are you looking for from um, comedy writers? What what do they need to have is I would assume just sketches are not enough. Are are you are you looking for them to have written original comedy pilots or how does this part of the business work? Well, we're not
1: we're not saying, hey, everybody send stuff. To charlie no god no.
2: not what
0: we're
1: <laughs> saying and if that's no. implied if that's implied we can no no, in, no.
2: But, um, yeah, no no yeah. no you're, you're not I'm gonna get a job because i i don't want to look at anything no. anymore but uh <laughs> uh i you know i think were i to do it again were i to staff up um i would want to read writing samples so first i would want to have a meeting with with the person um i i don't think i would oppo- be opposed to watching someone's sketch comedy if they if it was on tick tock or any other platform i think that's fine i, I think that's a, a good place to do it i i'd be careful about how much of your content you give away for free on social media but if you're building a, a big audience and some awareness that's that's currency in today's culture so i understand why people are doing it um but if you were just looking for a staff writing job i would want you to have interesting life ideas so, you know, let's say it was sunny. I'd say, okay, um, pitch me a, a sunny episode. You have to sign some sort of a um, contract that you won't sue in case you pitch me an idea we already have and it pops up in a season. But say, pitch me a sunny idea. And so I get a sense of what they think the show is and what their tone is. And then I would want to just sort of chat with them. Do they have interesting stories about their lives? And then I would want to see how they execute those stories on the page. Uh, and that would be the most, those three things would be the most important for me.
0: And in terms of what those samples are, in terms of because uh, this is what they're asking me, because they're like, "Well, do you write a?" And and this isn't just for you. I'm not talking to you specifically, but in the world of comedy, do you write a spec, a, an original pilot? Are you writing
2: a? a yeah, a, yeah, both, both, probably. Um, I think you know, uh. If you wrote, it, let's say, an episode of What We Do in the Shadows uh, on spec, and I read that, and I thought, oh, that's really funny. I know those characters, and this is good writing for that show. Uh, or our show, uh, not for us, but for some other show. You usually don't want to read a spec of your own show um, right. for what, whatever reason. Uh, and then an original piece, too, I think is always a good idea. Because um, if you mm-hmm. write a really good one, you might get that made. You might not have to go around and get that staff job anyway. <laughs>
1: so,
2: no. You might as well. That's write that. That's the
1: dream, right? That's everyone's dream. Yeah, right? it
2: can be done. And then, you know, if, yeah, if you're a ske- in a sketch group, yeah, go make sketches and shoot them yourself. And um, you could put them on TikTok or you could, you could not and try to, you know, get a show somewhere. Although I don't know if that exists so much anymore, but Key and Peel did it and people do it, you know?
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for letting me ask you that question. It's not a comedy and sketch is not my realm. So I really appreciate you answering that question.
2: Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I never, I didn't come from sketch either. It's a different sort of animal. I don't know how you write a sketch. It's so hard because they all always just seem to sort of fizzle out. <laughs> um, but oh, Tim Robinson has a great uh, sketch show out now. Uh, I adore forget.
3: that show. Uh, yeah. I think you should leave.
2: I think you should leave and he's great at it yeah so there's how did you
0: come up how did you if you weren't doing sketch how did you come up
2: oh well i started in theater uh i was at the williamstown theater festival and then um yeah my friends and i were were just uh making funny probably what would be considered sketch yeah making funny movies just in our apartments um but really just to learn how to act like to to learn to be in front of the camera to learn how the camera worked a little bit, but we, we didn't care that much. It was it was more about, hey, can we be funny and how big can I be and how little can I be and how much can I get away with it and um, and then, uh, we were you know getting whatever guest star role you can get you know Reno nine one one or um, um, uh, Law and Order whatever whatever popped up taking it drama comedy didn't matter, uh, I got cast as a lead character on a Fox sitcom that got canceled after 13 episodes um but then uh Rob had the idea to to start uh, trying to do some of those sketch-ish shows that that uh I was doing with Jimmy Simpson to do one with Glenn and I about a a guy who wants uh, some sugar he goes over to his buddy's house to borrow some sugar and his friend says uh oh here's a sugar by the way I have cancer and um uh and the friend oh he doesn't say he walks over he, sorry, he says he goes over his house, he says, Hey, I'd like to borrow some sugar, yeah, come on in. And then he says, By the way, I have cancer, and the guy has to be uh has to console his friend, but he still wants the sugar. And that, and, <laughs> and 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 uh
0: there we and, are. Back to want. Yeah and, yeah.
2: and how to, how to transition back into asking for the sugar. It's back to want. You're totally right. Uh, and that's why it's funny. Um, and they're the two opposing wants, right? One yeah. friend wants to connect about this cancer diagnosis and the other wants to just wants get the to get sugar. a sugar and get out of there, but, but not seem like a jerk. Uh, and so, uh, then we started kept developing that we shot a episode of the show in our apartments and, um, it stunk and so we re rewrote it and reshot it and then uh and then we shot a third episode and that was the one that we sold
1: love that i love awesome yeah yeah want yeah we That's, are. gosh we are. I'm, like, Today's I'm, gonna, theme. I'm gonna write it down <laughs> Want. i think what's so what you know i was complaining about earlier and the what is my week um I feel like I lost the want a little bit because I got distracted by so many of the other things I'm doing. I'm like reading scripts for people. I'm going to a retreat. I'm doing all the things. And I got distracted from my want of, I want to write a script. I don't have to. Meg, you brought this up a, a couple weeks ago. Like, I want to write a script. I want to write about this. And I- Not I have to. Yeah, you I let to. it get diffused a little bit because I'm so busy. So busy doing so many things. And then that means that I'm not making time because I want this thing. So I have to just remember, I want to write this feature. I, I, I don't know. You want to, I want to write, that's right.
2: There's so much distraction. And then there's all these things outside of the actual doing of what we do, right? There's, uh, what's the business side of it? What are, what are the executives going to think? Um, uh, what's the audience going to think? Is this going to be a hit? Is this going to be a flop? Uh, am I going to be considered a success? Am I, I going to be considered a failure? Am I going to get an award? All these things that don't have anything to do with the am work Am I going to get
1: paid?
2: Am I going to get paid? <laughs> yeah, that's, a big one. <laughs> that's a big one for me. <laughs> that's a big one. But again, it's not the thing. The thing is, is that's the right. work. And it's really hard to clear that all away. I really had a nice moment, um, with Rebecca Edwards, my co-producer and, uh, assistant and, uh, um been working with for Sunny for years and years who really has been with me from the beginning on this film where we were watching the final sound and color in the screening room in burbank uh, yesterday and i had this really peaceful moment of well there it is i just wanted to make something that was funny but something that was beautiful to look at and with beautiful music and great actors i just wanted to make a thing and i did it pencils down done uh but the journey oh thank you but the yes, journey congrats. the journey to that the amount of distraction and noise around it was really difficult and you know it's funny i now i go back and i'm like i just now i want to do it again i just want to write i just want to write the next thing and get it you know right. get it down but i keep finding ways to not do it
0: well we hope yeah. you do because we yes, would like to do. see it and experience it Thank you so much for being on the show today. We always end with the same three questions. So we're going to ask you our questions here. Um, the first one is what brings you the most joy in your creative life? That could be directing. It could be
2: acting, collaboration, collaboration, and, and it doesn't mean just on writing, but, um, you know, I had some moments where we were recording that score with John Bryan and, uh, you know, a, a full orchestra at the Sony, uh, uh, I think it's called the Barbra Streisand Soundstage, where they record. They recorded uh, the Wizard of Oz in there, and just that collaboration. Leslie, the editor, was there. Um, some moments that I've had with Rob and Glenn and and David Hornsey and Megan Gans and Rob Rosell, just in the writers' room, laughing, coming up with something that, or even just sitting in the edit room with Tim Roach or or um, Josh Drisco on an episode of Sunny that collaboration with another person, it's probably why the tone of the movie is about just connecting with other people that, uh, that fills my cup.
1: That's awesome. So what pisses you off about your creative life?
2: <laughs> that is a better question. Um, oof. This is, well, I get pissed off when I think I, I really desperately want to make something good. And I feel like it's not good that, that pisses me off. Like I, like, but the, there's some muck in my brain I have to get through to, and I, and I am I just get mad. I'm like, why can't I figure this out? And why, why don't I know the path? You know, that, that bothers me. Um, and then when uh, people who aren't on the creative side of the business, I think, you know, I had a moment where uh, an agent was, slowing down the process of me uh, just getting a poster approved on this movie that something I had an artist draw It was a beautiful drawing and saying that a a, a performer wasn't happy with their image, but I know this performer. And I was like, I don't think this person would care at all. And I found out that it was just the agent and I said, listen, I I'm I can have the artist make an adjustment, but it's a slow process this movie's coming out soon. And the agent said, Well, I'm sorry, you're just going to have to do that. This is what I do. And then I had to write a super long email about this. And this has been 10 years of my life. And this performer worked a single day. You know, I'm asking you, please don't make this more expensive and difficult for me. And they finally relented. They said, Okay, yeah. But um, th- that drives me nuts. I think uh, because it, the amount of work and effort that so many people put into making something for the audience that, any sort of person can be dismissive about that. Uh, it makes me furious.
3: Agree. Thanks. Very well said. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, yeah. The last question we have for you, Charlie, is if you could go back and have like a coffee with your younger self, kind of right on the precipice of their creative career, what would you tell that, Charlie?
2: Wow. Wow. I probably wouldn't tell him anything so that he could have the path that he's been on. I'm (laughs) like, I've, I'm really happy. Don't screw it up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. With, with how it's gone. I'm, um, but, uh, in fairness to this question, um, boy, uh, I've been so lucky in terms of getting to do so many different things. I probably, this is a hard one for me because I really not that I don't think that I've made mistakes I just think that the mistakes are a big part of how you get to where you are so I'm I'm comfortable with them so I'd hate to be I think right. it's a
0: beautiful answer That's I think great. it's a very beautiful answer
2: Yeah yeah
1: I aspire to have the same answer one day well you have to
2: try you have to work on your self-talk then you know like uh,
1: the overthinking remember i said that at the beginning the yeah the, the overthinking yeah, yeah
2: you know i probably would say you know just just take just continue to take big risks because um who, who, who cares it's just making movies you know um just just trust it
3: mm, that's great beautiful
0: thank you yeah. thank you so much for being with us
2: Oh, yeah. It was no, my absolute you. pleasure. This, uh, in fact, the the favorite conversation I have had in this entire press process so far, because I think it's, you know, sitting and getting to actually talk about, like, the way it's done is, um that's I, that's why I like doing it. It's what I, I like to do.
3: Exactly. Thank you. Now That'd give us nice. three hashtags before it <laughs> <laughs>
2: Exactly. Yeah. Ugh. I'm going to start sending my scripts for notes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Meg's guys. first
1: question bye will guys. be What do they want? Yeah, what kidding. do they want? I, I wrote it down. I wrote it
2: down in my notepad. <laughs> All right, thank, we'll you. See thank you. Brilliant. Bye bye.
1: Thanks so much to Charlie Day for joining us on today's show. Fool's Paradise will be released theatrically on May
0: 11th. If you haven't yet, join us over on the Facebook uh, page. There's a wonderful community over there ready to help and support your creative journey. And uh, we're having some good debates over there too. The whole likable character thing came up and we've been talking about it. So uh, come on over and join the discussion.
1: Thank you so much to Jeff and Savannah for producing our show. And remember, you are not alone and keep writing. Thank you so much to... Sorry, I choked my... (laughs) spit.
3: That's a great update. <laughs>
1: That's it.
3: That's how we're <laughs> wrapping the show today.
1: Yeah. Okay. That can be on the little, the little Pack. button at the end. Yeah. Do you guys want to hear Laurie and choke on her own spit? <laughs> <laughs>